Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. The New Living Translation says it this way. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. To Jews, to Gentiles or the church of God. One of the things you have to understand if you're going to correctly divide the word of truth, because it tells us that we should correctly divide the word of truth, which means you can incorrectly divide the word of truth. If you're going to correctly divide the word of truth, especially Bible prophecy, you have to know that there are three groups in the earth. There are the Jews, there are the Gentiles, and there's the church of God. Now, what are the Gentiles? That's just another name for the nations. In the Hebrew, it's the word goyim. It just means the nations. So there's the Jews, there's the nations, and there's the church of God. There are three groups in the earth. Each have covenants with God, and each have promises with God. A lot of times we focus on the covenant with Israel, and we should because it's connected to our redemption. And we focus on the covenant with the church. But sometimes people don't realize that God has made promises and covenants to a number of nations, especially Arab and African nations. Some even carry into the millennial kingdom that happened when Jesus returns to the earth. So there are many covenants and promises in the word of God. But we have to remember that there are three groups in the earth. There's the Jews, there's the Gentiles, and there's the church of God. If you know those three things, you'll keep your end time doctrine straight and your theology accurate. So let's move on to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And if you're not taking notes, you need to take notes. I know you have my notes, but you're going to want to write some things down. So I'm going to encourage you to write things in the chat and put them in your own notes. So the first thing I want you to know tonight, say there are three groups in the earth. Come on, say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say there are three groups in the earth. Even if you're someone who's listening on replay via podcast or YouTube or one of the other ways, make sure that you take notes as well. There are three groups in the earth. Galatians chapter 3 verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham before saying, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. Let's pause there. All those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the nations by faith, preach the gospel. We know the word gospel is the good news. When we talk about the gospel, we think about Jesus being Jesus becoming our atonement, our sacrifice, dying for us, taking our place. He was raised from the dead. He washed us in his blood, filled us with the Holy Ghost, the gospel. Well, notice what Galatians calls the gospel here, how it sums it up here. God preached the gospel to Abraham before saying, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. So another way to sum up the gospel is all nations or all the families in the earth will be blessed or shall be blessed. How? Through Abraham, what was going to happen in Abraham's lineage which is going to lead to Jesus. Now, when we think about nations, we think about all the different nations we see today. But remember when God originally said this in Genesis 12, when he made this promise to Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And in you shall all nations, or translate all families in the earth be blessed. There were 70 nations. Go ahead, put in the chat, say 70 nations. Go ahead, put in the chat, say 70 nations. Genesis 10 reveals what we call the table of nations. The table of nations. Let me put it on the screen for you. The table of nations. And so what you see here are the descendants of Noah. You have Japheth, you have Ham, and you have Shem. You have Ham, Shem, and Japheth. 
And from these three sons came all the nations that are today. And so it lists 70 different nations. Now, let's take a look at this map. Now, in this map, you see right here where the three sons' descendants went after the flood, especially after the Tower of Babel and the dispersion there. You see Shem, which is here in the Middle Eastern area. You see Japheth go through Turkey and expand outward to Europe, Eastern and Western Europe, and into Scythia. You see, well, what is Scythia? That is where you would see Ukraine and Russia. Then you see Ham, of course, spread out and go through Africa. So you have Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their descendants make 70 nations. All those 70 nations are listed in Genesis chapter 10. And so in Genesis chapter 12, when God tells Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth be blessed, he was saying, through you, all the sons of Ham, Shem, and Japheth shall be blessed. All the descendants, those 70 families in Genesis 10, shall be blessed. So the plan of God was to bless every person on this planet. That's his plan. That is the gospel. Now, one of the lies that I have been spread specifically over the last few hundred years that we're still fighting against today is that, and I've covered this, I've taught you guys this many a times before, is that people say Ham was cursed. Ham was never cursed. When you read the story of Noah, Ham was never cursed. The only person cursed in that story was Canaan. He was not cursed by God. He was cursed by Noah. So Ham was never cursed. Japheth was never cursed. Shem was never cursed. And only people who were cursed was Canaan. But guess what? Through Abraham, God still wanted to extend the blessing to Canaan and to his descendants, but that's another topic for another day. Let's keep going. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of law to do them but that no one is justified by the law and the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. You have to understand this because it's another lie. It's about 200 years old that's been popularized on and off over the last 200 years, a little bit less than that, is that, and I've seen, I even saw someone posted this weekend, I've preached on this before and I'll keep preaching on it, that they say that, well, black people went through what they went through in the United States because they're really Israel and they stopped fulfilling the law. That is a devilish lie and it's dangerous because when you follow that lie, it leads you to a trap. That lie goes to the place where you ignore the entire book of Galatians and you even go against the gospel because now they put their confidence because the lie continues as well, you have to keep the law in order for your life to be good. That's not the gospel. That's not the Bible. That is a lie. Or as Paul said in Galatians 1, if anyone comes to you preaching another gospel, let him be accursed. You have to understand there are three groups in the earth. There's the church, there's the Gentiles, and there are the Jews. One did not replace the other. God has dealings with each and every one. If you don't understand that, your theology will be skewed and your end time doctrine, your eschatology will be off. And you'll enter into dangerous places. Let's keep going. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Have it become a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Skipping down to verse 26 for the sake of time. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek or Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Now, it's not saying that in Christ there's no such thing as a man or woman. No. It's not saying in Christ there's no such thing as any ethnic group. No, it's not saying. It's saying that there's no limitation based on who you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, every limitation, especially every societal limitation, has been removed. We all have the same access to the blessing of Abraham, no matter our background, no matter our race, no matter our education, no matter our ethnic group, no matter where we are born. In Christ, we have the same access to the blessing of Abraham. As I said on Sunday, and I'll say it again, black people, white people, nor the church replaced Israel. Israel is Israel. God has a covenant with Israel, and God has a covenant with his church. We are in Christ and not under the curse of the law. We are not of the works of the law. We are of faith. Well, as I said before, I'll say it again. I can put it in my notes and drive it home. What African-Americans went through is not because they did not keep the law. To insinuate so is devilish and an open door to a trap. And if anyone tells you that's the reason, that's the historical reason, you turn your ear to from it because it is a lie meant to trap you. It is a dangerous lie. And those who peddle it need to turn. Go to Romans chapter 11. Let me prove this even more. Romans chapter 11. We looked at the table of nations. We looked at the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Because if we're going to talk about Israel tonight, we have to understand things from the Bible. What does the Bible actually say? Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer of work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their neck, bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Go ahead, put in the chat, say certainly not. Come on, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is the riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more? Go ahead, put that in your notes, put in the chat, say how much more? How much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them, but if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world or of the Gentiles, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear or reverence. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. 
And they also, they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Go put this in your notes or online if you have a physical Bible. Put mystery. Go put it in the chat, put it in your notes. Put mystery. We'll get to that later tonight. This mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Notice that. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. God is not done with Israel. Anyone or any doctrine, any teaching that says otherwise is against the Bible. Anything that tells you that God has replaced Israel or is done with Israel is a lie. And it's a dangerous trap. God has dealings with the church. God has dealings with Israel. And God has dealings with the nations of the world. There are three groups in the earth. Never forget that. Now, all that being said, that's my introduction for tonight. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's dive into more. Genesis chapter 1. Let's dive into some more. Genesis chapter 1. For those of you watching live, I'm not losing anybody, am I? If you're with me, go ahead and put a thumbs up in the chat if you're with me. Am I losing you, am I? If you're with me, you got it. What I'm saying, go ahead and put it in the chat. So we go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 14 again like we looked at it on Sunday. Then God said, let there be light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. As we covered on Sunday, you do not need the constellation to tell you how to deal today. That is not Bible. That is witchcraft. The stars, the signs, the stars were given for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, not to tell you how to feel. You can tell yourself how to feel. You don't need to know what sign you were born under to know how your life is going to be. You have the word of God. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are the anointed. You are the blessed. You are the seed of Abraham because of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we said on Sunday, I'm not going to go dive into what I just covered, but anything else you can see, go back to our podcast or our YouTube channel or the app to see what we covered on Sunday. We said this word seasons is the Hebrew word Moed. Go ahead, say it out loud, put it in your notes, put it in the chat, say Moed, M-O-E-D. This word seasons is the Hebrew word Moed. Moed means an appointed time, a fixed time, a set time. The word Moed means an appointed time, a fixed time, a set time. One more time, the word Moed means an appointed time, a fixed time, a set time. So we put the light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and to be for signs and moeds and for days and for years. So one of the things we covered on Sunday and we'll mention again tonight, God sets appointed times. He gives fixed times. God sets appointed times. He gives fixed times. Or another way to say is God has moeds. Say out loud, put in the chat. God has moeds. God has moeds. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. Go ahead, put in the chat. God said, These are my feast. Go ahead, put in the chat, say, My feast. Put in your notes, underline it, highlight it. Say, these are my feasts. This word feast in the Hebrew is the word moed, what we just covered. It means it's an appointed time, a fixed time, and a set time. And so quoting from this book by David Barron, he says, this chapter, Leviticus 23, may well be styled the sacred calendar of the history of redemption. For not only are each of the appointed seasons a meeting between the Lord and his people considered separately full of emblematic and spiritual teaching, but taken together, they form a series of striking symbolic prophecies, some fulfilled, 
some yet to be fulfilled, and thus foretell as well as set forth the great plan of redemption. These feasts or moeds are not of man's origination, but appointed and ordered by his who is infinite knowledge and who knows the end from the beginning. These are all predictions of those things they typify. Their fulfillment is equally certain. The very order in which they stand in the sacred calendar is significant in setting forth the order of sequence in which the various stages of God's great redemption scheme were to unfold themselves in the course of the ages. One of the things you have to understand, there's a sacred calendar and there is a civil calendar. So what we're about to cover is the sacred calendar, and we'll mention the civil calendar later. It's not too deep of a concept to understand. We know that, you know, for us, our year starts on January 1st. However, many corporations, many business organizations have different calendars where their, their new uh, corporate year may be starting on September 1st. Some do July 1st, some do October 1st, depending on how their company is organized. So it's not a strange thing to us in modern day to have multiple calendars. We know what it means. But when we're talking about the sacred calendar, the sacred calendar begins with Passover. And as I covered on Sunday, and I mentioned again, that there are seven feasts in the sacred calendar. There are seven moeds in the sacred calendar. These moeds were connected to harvest. Each moed has a historical event, a harvest, and a fulfillment. Each moed has a historical event, a harvest, and a fulfillment. One of the things I love just mentioning is briefly about these moeds. Not only is a historical event connected to it, but every time they gathered to celebrate the historical event, they were also celebrating harvest. So we should be harvest-minded. Well, what harvest should we mind for? The harvest of people coming to the kingdom of God, the harvest of the seeds we've sown, a harvest of every good thing. We need to be harvest-minded, which means we have to be seed-minded. Each moat has a historical event, a harvest, and a fulfillment. So let's begin the sacred calendar once again. Passover begins and sets in motion the following moments and events. So Passover, which we know what, what they did before they left Egypt, the fulfillment was Jesus crucified and offered as our substitute. Now, as I pointed out on Sunday, and I reiterate that remember, Jesus was offered during the feast of Passover. Remember the Last Supper, they were preparing for the feast of Passover. That's why everybody was gathering in Jerusalem. It was Passover time. And so on God's sacred calendar, when the lamb was offered in Egypt, thousands of years later, Jesus would be offered. One of the things you understand when you study the sacred calendar is that things happen on the same dates. It's very often that things happen on the same dates when we talk about moeds or set times. The next feast on the sacred calendar is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, it says, Know ye not that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast of unleavened bread, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. It's a cause and effect. If the Paschal or the Passover land set forth Christ our Passover slain in order to bring us pardon, peace, and new life, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was designed to prefigure the holiness of the new life and the fellowship with God, which must characterize the redeemed. So this is what we see as the fulfillment of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, the next feast is the presentation sheet for the Feast of First Fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So the Feast of First Fruits is fulfilled with Jesus being raised from the dead. So we see the fulfilled Moed so far, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Let's move on to another fulfilled one. It's called Shavuot or Pentecost. Now, the fulfillment of Shavuot in Acts chapter 2, which records the baptism in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost was the fulfillment. Now, remember when Shavuot originally happened, Pentecost originally happened, this is 50 days. 50 days. From Passover, 50 days. That's why it's Penta, it means 50. It's 50 from this previous feast. And at this feast, this Shavuot, after the waving of what they're waving as part of the Shavuot Pentecost, the original Pentecost was the day the law was given. The fulfillment of Pentecost was the day the Holy Ghost was given. Now, what's very interesting is after Pentecost, there are a few months before the next Moed. 
there is a pause or an interval. So there's an interval between the fulfilled four moments and the next three moments, which are unfulfilled. Let me say it again. There is an interval or a pause between the fulfilled and unfulfilled moments. And on the sacred calendar, it's a pause that lasts a few months. From David Barron's book, Types, Psalms, and Prophecies, it says, so far we have dealt with prophetic types which have already received their fulfillment in the Christian dispensation. We come now to the part of the sacred calendar in the history of redemption, the fulfillment of which is, as I believe yet in the future, from Pentecost on the sixth month of Sivan to the first of Tishri, a period of nearly four months out of the seven, the sacred calendar is without, with the exception of the celebrations of the new moons, a blank. So we see there's a blank of about four months. There's a period of a few months between moments. Now, something to consider just as we analyze the text. Could this be a hint to us that there will be a pause or a blank or a space between Pentecost and the fulfillment of the unfulfilled moments? I'm going to say it again. I put it in my notes for you so you can consider it. Could this be a hint to us Bible students that there is a space between the fulfillment of Pentecost and the fulfillment of the unfulfilled moments? Let's jump into the unfulfilled moments once again. The Feast of Trumpets is the start of the civil year. Remember, we talked about the sacred calendar, the start of the sacred year. But the silver year starts with the Feast of Trumpets. It sets in motion the following moments of an event. So the first one is Rosh Hashanah. It is the Feast of Trumpets. It means that word Hebrew means the head of the year. Some historians believe that it was the day that uh, Adam was created and is the celebration of the first day of Adam and is the beginning of the new civil year. It is marked in celebration by the blowing of the shofar. It is the Feast of Trumpets. Now that is the fulfillment of that comes at the rapture of the church. Remember when a trumpet sounds and the voice comes from heaven and we are caught up. Now the next one just happens just a few days after. It's about 10 days after between the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur is what's called the Day of Atonement. Now, Christ is our atonement, but the full fulfillment of the Day of Atonement is when Israel turns as a nation to their Messiah, as we see in Romans chapter 11. And then right after that is what we call the Feast of Tabernacles. What every moed or every appointed time and set time was leading to and preaching about and prophesying would come. God dwelling with men. The last and great day of the feast. It is the feast of all feasts, the Moed of all Moeds, and it's fulfilled at the end of the book of Revelation when God comes and makes his tabernacle with man. So we see these three unfulfilled Moeds. And here's a note that I want you to know for your notes. The 70 bullocks sacrificed on the Feast of Tabernacles, his last feast, were offered to atone for the 70 nations. Did you notice that? 70 bullocks, 70 nations. Seventy bullocks for the seventy nations we cover from the table of Galatians, Genesis 10. God wants each nation to rise to its highest spiritual potential. Not he wants all nations to be blessed. Some more notes before we go further and dive in a little bit deeper. Time and the number seven. There's a lot of things we've seen have been a lot of sevens today. So let's talk about time and the number seven. Creation. The creator created for six days and rested on the seventh. Adam was given a six-day work week for the development of the earth, and he was to rest on the seventh. We know seven days equals one week. The Jews' law of Sabbath was a six-day work week. The Sabbath was seventh was rest. Moeds that are seven-day festivals, because some of the Moeds are seven-day festivals. You have Passover and Tabernacles. Each one of those are seven-day festivals. Jewish weddings, these are marriages that are celebrated for a full week. And then even in death, there are families who sit in Shiva for seven days of mourning. Something else to add to your study and your understanding as we look at the sacred calendar. A smita is a seven-year cycle. A smita is the seven-year cycle. The smita year begins on Ras Hashanah, the first month of Tishri, and ends the next year at that same time. So let me put up the smita's year on here for you guys. And one of the things you'll see, if you can zoom in, you see the Hebrew year, 5782, or in our Gregorian calendar, September 6th through 7th, 2021, to September 25, 2022, 
marks the beginning of the latest Shemitah year. And when you look at the sacred calendar and different things, you realize things happen in cycles. So last year marked the, be, the end of the beginning of the Shemitah year, and it will go until September 20th and 21st, 2028. And so I've put here in the notes the next few Smita years, and you see on the screen the next few Smita years as well. Something that I want you to know, because you wonder why, well, why are all these dashes on the dates and why do they change? Why are they not the same date every year? The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. Now, our Gregorian calendar is a solar calendar. The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. So in our Gregorian dates, they're not always on the same date. They can go back and forth depending on the year. Now, go to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. As we turn there, I'll put another graphic on the screen to you, God's sacred calendar from what we saw in Leviticus 23. We see the spring moets from Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, then 50 days, and you have Pentecost. And then you have the fall moets, the trumpets, the day of atonement, and the tabernacles. So you have the fulfilled moets there in the spring. Then you have this space in time, this four months of what we would call in our study of the church age. And then you have the fall moets which will be fulfilled at the second coming. I'll leave that up on the screen for you for just a little bit longer. As we go to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. And we're going to see why all this is important to us. And then we'll reference current events. Luke 21, verse 28. Now, when these things begin to happen, of course, we know early Luke went on Jesus is answering questions from his disciples. There are three questions they ask, talking about the temple, talking about when it was going to be overthrown, talking about the signs of his coming. So they're answering, asking three different questions, and Jesus' answer, he answers three different questions. Now, he says in verse 28, now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them in parables, says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, or worry and anxiety, that that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare or a trap on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So the fig tree, what is the fig tree? The fig tree is Israel. Job chapter 1 talks about that. The fig tree is Israel. But the other trees are the other nations of prophecy. And so we looked at God's sacred calendar and how things start on Semita cycles and on the unfulfilled moment, especially one of the things we talked about on Sunday is one of the habits I've gotten into, knowing that God has moments and set times. When these set times roll around, especially the unfulfilled moments, it gets my attention to turn to prayer and turn to the word in a different way, say, God, is there something up? Now, one of the things we just saw happen in Israel they were just finishing celebrating Yom Kippur, and they're entering into and finishing the Feast of Tabernacles. See? Now, one of the things, these are the unfulfilled moets. And during the unfulfilled moets, an attack begins, which they're describing that earlier, and by early reports, they describe it Israel's 9-11. But it's even worse when you consider all the other things that are continually happening. And so there's a lot of things that are going to happen. But one of the reasons that you want to pay attention to this is because of the Moet and because Israel is God's timepiece or clock in the earth. And so when you have things happen to God's timepiece in the earth on a certain Moet, that should get your attention. You don't let those things pass by. You dive in the words and say, well, God, what do you say about this? Because if not, you'll be distracted. Your eyesight will be dim because everybody there's going to be a think piece and thought piece on every Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, now known as X. Every media site's going to have something to say. But one of the things you have to do is take everything you hear, you think, and you believe back to the word of God. 
and see what does God say about this. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm answering the question, what time is it? Because we see Moets. We're in a period of Moets, of unfulfilled Moets, in the time on the sacred calendar. And we see things happening to Israel. What does the word of God say about it? Ezekiel chapter 37. Because one of the books I was reading from David Barron is written in the early 1900s, which means it was written in a time when Israel wasn't even a nation. Israel didn't become a nation again until 1948, and Israel didn't even uh, rule over Jerusalem to the 1960s. So everything we know about the nation of Israel as a nation today is new when you consider the last few thousand years. And so when people would read and study Ezekiel 37, just in some of our grandparents' generation or great-grandparents' generation, they had no idea what was about to take place. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. I'll read this from the New Living Translation. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the, the ground and were completely dried up. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I reply, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'll put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into these bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, take a piece of wood and carve, it, carve on it these words. This represents Judah and its allied tribes. Then take another piece and carve these words on it. This represents Ephraim and the northern tribes of Israel. Now hold them together in your hand as if they were one piece of wood. When your people ask what your action means, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and join them to Judah. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. Then hold out the piece of wood you have inscribed so the people can see them and give them this message from the sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their land from the places where they have been scattered. Now, we saw since 1948 this come to pass and begin to come to pass. God bringing Israel back home again. Something that people never thought could happen. The way it happened, how suddenly it happened, and the tremors that it still causes today from how it happened is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. Now, you know, there's a famous, you know, song that we would sing in children's church back in the day, you know, about, you know, this bone sketches of this bone, this bone, this bone, this bone, this bone, and I hear the word of the Lord. It's a fun song, fast song. Kids love it. But the full message of that song is about Israel coming back together again. Jeremiah, speaking of that event, talks about by the time is fully fulfilled that they will stop talking about how God brought them out of Egypt, but they'll talk about how God brought them from all nations of the world together again. So when God's done with bringing them all back home, it's going to be greater than when he delivered them from Egypt. Now, one of the things we saw even over the last couple of years with the war between Ukraine and Russia is that there are people who are up there who were evacuated out and moved to Israel. The same thing just a couple decades ago where people were evacuated from Ethiopia and moved back to Israel. 
it is still coming to pass. It began in 1948, and this word is still coming to pass. Go to chapter 38. Chapter 38. If you're with me, go ahead and put a thumbs up in the chat. If you're with me, go ahead and put a thumbs up in the chat. Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, verse 1. We'll start with the New Living Translation. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshach and Tubal. Now, who in the world is Gog and Magog and Meshach and Tubal? These names sound very familiar. And I would encourage you in your own study, because we're running out of time, to look at the table of nations again and see that the land of Magog and Meshach and Tubal refer to areas of modern-day Turkey and surrounding areas. Well, who in the world is Gog? Well, when you look at Ezekiel and how he talks about it, even see it mentioned again concerning the book of Revelation, and you see that Gog is a spirit over the area. I won't dive into that today because I'm out of time. I've got a lot of ground to cover. It says, give him this message from the sovereign Lord. Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with your whole army, your horses and chariots in full armor, a great horde with the shields. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you too. Well, what is Persia? It's areas of modern-day Iran. What is Ethiopia? It's not necessarily what we know as the nation of Ethiopia today. Ethiopia mentioned here are areas of Sudan and Libya, of course, what we know even today in northern Africa. We'll join you too with all their weapons. Gomer and all his armies will also join you along with the armies of Beth Tol Garma from the distant north and many others. Get ready, be prepared, keep all the armies around you mobile and take command of them. A long time from now, you'll be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace. After recovering from war, after his people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel, notice this. They said there's coming a time where Israel will be enjoying peace after recovering from what? War. And after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. Something we see at verse 8. Have we seen that fulfilled yet? To where we can really say that for a distant period of time that Israel has enjoyed peace after they recovered from war. Not necessarily because people say, oh, well, you had that period after the, you know, the Six Day War and, you know, the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago. No, keep going. You and all your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. This is what the Sovereign Lord says at that time. Evil thoughts will come to your mind and you would devise a wicked scheme. You would say Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. Notice this, that there's coming a time in Israel of such peace, their enemies say they live unprotected, they live in unwalled villages. Now, what we know about Israel just in modern times, this, that doesn't describe any of the times. We know they have the Iron Dome and the IDF and all the different things that they do. But they're living in such peace and confidence that the enemies describe they're living, it's like they have unwalled villages, no protection. They've inhabited all the formerly desolate cities. Well, what are those? We're not going to get into that tonight. And they've prospered. They have all of these things. They think the whole world revolves around them. So what happens? And something happens before this. Israel has had, had a major victory to the point that they are living in peace, recovering from war. Something happens between what we see now and what we see in these verses right here. 
And so while these nations are planning to come against Israel, and I don't want to just say nations, because a lot of times, up until the last 30 years, when we thought about war, we thought about nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We thought about nation states fighting. But one of the things we've seen, especially in the last 20 years, and even longer than that, if you go back into the 90s, we've seen certain areas rise against other nations, certain organizations, certain terrorist groups, certain associations, where they're not necessarily governments of nations, but these own areas or organizations or terrorist organizations declare war and attack other nations. So when you think about the fulfillment of these prophecies, don't just think that it's going to be the nation of this that does that or the nation of that. Not necessarily so. It's just groups of individuals who come from that nation or that area will plot these things and do these things. Verse 13, I'm going to read this part from the New King James. Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So while they're planning, Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish gets wind of this, and they're questioning them. It's like, what are you doing? What are you up to? What are you gathering to do? Are you coming to attack Israel? All they do is talk. It sounds like there's a lot of possibly espionage, possibly getting intel and intelligence information, maybe diplomacy. This is what it's talking about. They're just asking questions. They haven't responded. Now, let's talk about who is Sheba and Dedan. Now, Sheba and Dedan is Southern Arabia, what we would know as Saudi Arabia and the areas of Yemen and, uh, Yemen and Oman and the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, that area. This is what we would call Southern Arabia. And so, Notice, Southern Arabia is not part of the attack. Did you catch that? These areas, you would have thought previously, over decades ago, might be part of it. But something has changed by the time you get to Ezekiel 38. Some things we saw over a few years ago was just beginning the Abrahamic Accords, where you have these nations who had never had peaceful relations with Israel enter into official peaceful relations. And that even up until now, and it's still going on now over the last couple of years, the conversation was continuing between Israel and Saudi Arabia to enter into peaceful relations for the first time. So by the time you get to verse 13, something has happened with Sheba, Dedan, the area of Southern Arabia, where they're not coming against Israel, but they're joined with the merchants of Tarshish to find out what's going on. They never act on the intelligence from what we see here, but we see they're trying to find out what's going on. So you'll say, well, who are the merchants of Tarshish? Who would Southern Arabia, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, even be allied with to have this conversation? Well, these merchants are sailors, ships from across the sea. Just pause. The merchants of Tarshish, ships from across the sea, across the Mediterranean, across the sea, sailors from across the sea and their young lions. Now, if we talk just about the Mediterranean, we know that's a good portion of Europe. When we think about sailors, those who are known for their ships and their sailing, even over the last few hundred years, we would, we would include Great Britain, the island nation that became an empire. But notice it says, and all their young lions. Now, when you consider lions, we know lion is a symbol of Great Britain. But when you consider young lions, when you consider a pack of lions, the old lion doesn't lead the pack. The young, strong lion does. So if we want to dive into merchants of Tarsus and all the young lions, we could rightfully include not just Great Britain, but the United States, Canada, Australia, and other descendants or colonies of the old lion, Britain, and the merchants of Tarsus. So what do you see? You see allies from across the sea who are allied with Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, and the other areas coming together, not with this group that's attacking, but asking these questions, whether through intelligence gathering or diplomacy. Go to verse 38. I mean, verse 14. 
Therefore, son of man, prophesy against God. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry and your mighty army. And you attack my people as recovering their land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, God. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I would bring you against my people? But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When God invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on the earth will quake and tear at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down. Cliffs will crumble. Walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you. All the, all the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord, your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstorms, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So we see this upcoming Ezekiel 38 war with these groups or these individuals or nations or terrorist groups from these countries, from these areas. They come against Israel after a time of great peace, great prosperity, when they're living in confidence and where their other allies are just asking questions. God steps in and delivers them. And the rest of Ezekiel 38 describes a great deliverance. And verse chapter 39 describes a great deliverance that God does for them. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 9, we go so for the sake of time. It says, Then the people in the towns of Israel go out and pick up your small, large shields, your bows and arrows, your javelins and spears, and they will use them for fuel. There will be enough to last them seven years. They won't need to cut wood from the field or forest, for these weapons will give them all the fuel that they need. They will plunder those who plan to plunder them, and they will rob who plan to rob them, says the sovereign Lord. Did you catch that? These armies, these groups that come in, they're destroyed by God. And there's so much left of all the weapons they brought that Israel's able to burn them or convert them for fuel. And it's enough fuel to last them seven years. Now, there's some scholars who believe this happens, you know, before the tribulation starts, or during the mid part of the tribulation or right after the tribulation starts. The Bible is not clear on that. But either way, we see that there's a great deliverance that comes from God. Now, these things haven't happened yet. We're still seeing Ezekiel 37 play out and maybe even the beginnings of Ezekiel 38. But one of the things when Ezekiel 38 happens, the entire world will know. It will get the entire world's attention. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. Just like all, Ezekiel 37 has happened and is happening. And all these other things have happened. Just like the other Moets were fulfilled, the unfulfilled Moets will be fulfilled as well. I need five minutes to wrap up. If I can, if you guys got five more minutes, I know we're already over time, but you got five more minutes. We're going to put in the chat. So I got five minutes. Come on, say, Pastor, go ahead. Go on with these five minutes. I just need five more minutes to wrap this up. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6. Isaiah 62, verse 6. Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7 says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give them no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now I go to Psalm 122. So we see there's something consistent that has to be done. Consistent prayer has to be made for Jerusalem and Israel. How long until it happens? And what should we pray? Psalm 122, verses 1 through 9. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that's compact together. As I talked to you before, Jerusalem in Hebrew is Jerusalem. And so when we say Jerusalem, we realize there's an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem. And one day the heavenly Jerusalem will come and be over the earthly Jerusalem. Verse 4, when, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For the thrones are set there for judgment, 
the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace, the shalom, the prosperity, the wholeness, the security of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. So this is part of the prayer. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. So what is our instruction? We are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We are to pray that they may prosper that lover. We're to pray that there be peace within her walls and prosperity within her palaces. And we're to pray for peace to be within. And we are to seek for good. Now notice something. It didn't just say to pray for the peace of the Jewish people. It said pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. So we know it's talking about Israel. But as I shared on Sunday, as you look at Israel today, Israel is more than just the Jewish people. Of course, that's the majority. But in Israel, you also have many other nations who are there. You have many Arabs who live in Israel. You have many people from all over the world. In fact, the attack that happened this past week affected Americans and Argentinians and uh, Brits and Thai and many other people because it's a very international location. But you are to pray for the peace of all those who live in Jerusalem and Israel, to pray for its prosperity, to seek its good. And so even when you're praying concerning the wars and everything going on right now, this is directing your prayer, that you should pray for the innocents who are in harm's way. You should pray for the innocents in the Gaza Strip, in the West Bank, in those different areas. You are to pray for the deliverance. You are to pray that God helps them, that God protects them, that God gets them out of harm's way. There's so many things that need to be prayed where this is concerned, where our human understanding will lack. That's why we have what we said, Romans 11, 25. We'll look at it earlier. I told you I would come back to it. Romans 11, 25 and 26. It says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away on Dallas from Jacob. This can be considered the mystery of Israel. How God is going to bring it all together, make it all happen. Everything we covered tonight and some because we didn't cover everything. But everything we cover tonight, plus some, how is God going to make that happen? It's considered the mystery of Israel. And 1 Corinthians 14, 2 through 4 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, how be it in the spirit he speaks mysteries, mysteries, divine secrets, plans, and purposes. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds himself, but he who prophesies builds up the church. There are times when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're praying out mysteries. And one of those mysteries is many mysteries listed in the New Testament. But one of the mysteries is the mystery of Israel. And you're wondering, how do I pray about what's going on? Let's go pray for it all to stop. Pray in the spirit concerning the situation. You can get a lot of work done in the spirit that way. Prayer is important. Prayer is your part. And so how does it relate to you? One, it reminds you to pray. It gets your attention to remember that God's word always comes to pass. It reminds you to pray. It reminds you that the unfulfilled moments will be fulfilled. But you know what? It also reminds you that Jesus is coming again. I didn't say he's coming tonight. But I didn't say he's coming again. Because Luke 21 says, when you see these things happen, Look up. Your redemption is getting closer. It says when you see the trees bud, you know that summer is not. So when we see these things happen and these things get closer and closer, these things being fulfilled, you know that summer is not. Summer was a time for harvest, the time of leaders, the time of harvest, the time of judgment. When you see these things happening, you know the return of the Lord is getting closer. So it doesn't mean we're afraid. It doesn't mean we hide in our closets. It means we occupy till he comes. As 1 Thessalonians 4 says, comfort or encourage each other with these words. So as we go through all these crazy times, we keep our head. Because one of the advice Jesus told those who live in the end times said, don't panic. So we keep our head. We stay full of faith. He says, when I come back, he wants to find faith in the earth. He's looking for faith. 
we stay full of hope, we walk in love, and we do what God has called us to do. As we do those things, we occupy till he comes, and we make a difference because he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.